All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Friday, September 22nd of 2023 here, last show of the week. We do this show Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. So if you guys have questions ahead of the weekend, today is the day to get those questions answered, or else you're going to have to wait till Monday. But for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the coaches over here at Saber Sims, the show where we go over how to use the Saber Sim app, answer any and all DFS-related questions. You get your questions in one of three ways here. First way, send us an email, support at sabersim.com. Second way, post it live in the YouTube chat. Third way, post it in the Office Hours channel in our Discord server. We're going to get to all the questions before the end of the show. I really appreciate your guys' patience as I work through them one by one here. Uh, if you're not in the Discord, want to get access to that channel, there is a link in the description of this video. Get access to our similars, get access to our individual sport channels, get you know access to the rest of the SaberSim team through the Discord. They're always hanging out there trying to help people get better and then get access to our release notes channels, see when updates go live, see when bugs are fixed, etc. So can't say enough good things about the Discord. But looking ahead to today, we have an 11-game MLB main slate today. We have an 11-fight MMA card tomorrow. We have college football tomorrow, and then Sunday we have week three NFL main slate, and then we also have NASCAR cup race on Sunday. So that is one, two, three, four, five sports, five DFS sports with action over the next three days here. If you're not signed up with Saberson, want to check us out, want to take advantage of your five-day free trial, I would say, you know, a Friday is a great day to sign up here, get access to all of those weekend sports. So if you're not signed up, want to check us out. We have a five-day free trial in the description of this video. But with that being said, uh, before we get started, as always, want to remind you guys ahead of week three main slate here. If you're not participating in our weekly max challenge, it is a promotion slash giveaway that we do during the NFL season here. The link to this page is in the description of the video. You can sign up right here by clicking the enter the challenge button. All you have to do, three things, use Saberson logo as your avatar, fill out a short form here. That just helps us to get information to send you guys gear. And then max enter one of the mini max contests for the Sunday main slate on DraftKings. You get access to weekly prizes as well as season-long prizes. Uh, we've had some great giveaways in the past, so really looking forward to how this season turns out. But we've had a ton of people uh, playing, and it's been really, really cool. But with that said, going to get the app pulled up here. We are going to start with the questions that came in via the uh, – what is this? Office Hours channel. And the first question here from the piano teacher – Question says, if we are going to adjust Saberson projections for a few players and adjust team totals as a whole, what is the best order to do that in? Totals first, then adjustments, or does it matter the order also will both be taken into account? Or will adjusting team totals override other tweaks in favor of the game level change? Okay, great question here. So what I would suggest doing, so what we're kind of talking about is like, hey, you know, uh, maybe I think the Mets are going to do better than what we are projecting them for in the app here. So I want to go, I want to make an adjustment to the Mets as a whole, but I also want to really favor somebody say Pete Alonzo. I think Pete Alonzo specifically is going to have a good game. How do I account for both of those adjustments? And what I would suggest is we always talk about starting wider on a, uh, zoomed out view at the macro and then and then uh, zooming in slowly and, and coming toward those individual pieces, right? So when we're going through 
the actual building process when we when you build your lineups when you're trying to figure out you know how to get the lineups to what you want to take with you into your contest we talked about starting wide starting with unique starting with stacks uh like stack types and then team stacks and then players eventually right i would do the same thing here i would start with you know the game total adjustments and then i would i would zoom into those individual players afterwards so what that would look like is coming into the team stacks. I'm just going to sort by projected runs so I can easily find the Mets here. Going to go down to New York Mets. Uh, let's say I want to give them a one run increase here. So I'm going to bump them up to 5.2 here. And then when I click apply, one, the team total is going to get adjusted in the games panel here. And then if I go over back to players and then I sort by the Mets, I'm going to see that, hey, you know, these guys got a big boost. Um, Nimmo went from 8.41 to 9.59 projection. Alonzo went from 8.07 to 9.38 here. So, so these are the team level adjustments. I would start with these, look at them, see what they look like, and then decide, hey, you know, do I want to go higher? And then if so, you can just further adjust that in the my projection column. So maybe I want to go, you know what, let's get Pete Alonzo up to 10 specifically. So now your custom projection of 10 will override that team total adjustment of 9.38, but it will also be displayed as an individual column that cannot be adjusted. So at least you have that reference point, right? You could see the original projection, the updated projection based on the game total, and then look at your manual custom projection that you set. So that's the order I would work that in. And good question to get us started. All right. Question from Chargers. Question says, hey, Andrew, if I'm sorting by risk-adjusted ROI, is it best to fill my contests with unique rank one contest at a time to ensure I get the top risk-adjusted ROI lineups into each contest versus filling them all at once, which would put the bottom ranked positive risk-adjusted ROI lineups into some of my contests as the top lineups based on how my contests are sorted. Thanks in advance. Okay, good question here. So it's like probably a good time to kick off some projection adjustment. Uh, I'm sorry, to kick off some lineups. So while we let these build, uh, I think that the way you're describing it makes sense if you are somebody who's going to say hey you know my highest scoring lineup ended up in my lowest dollar entry and that makes me really upset right and if if that's you I, I think that's a lot of people definitely been me in the past as well filling unique rank really helps you to kind of uh live with that outcome and be like you know what i put my highest ranked lineups into the contest that matter most to me, whether that be by price pool, by percent to first, by entry fee, however you do it, right? You can manually move them with the drag and drop feature. At the end of the contest, you could say, well, at least I know I put my best contest into my best lineups and whatever happened, you know, uh, this lineup that graded out worse just happened to do the best, right? Uh, I think that's a little easier to stomach overall, right? As the the opposite is filling unique random, you know, your fifth best lineup uh, goes off, but it goes off in one of the lower dollar contests because it was randomly filled, right? And then you feel bad, like, hey, if I would have just filled normal, then then I would have, um, you know, binked my my highest entry contest, right? So I think if that's you, I would use unique rank. Some people uh, don't care as much. I think that I'm somebody who uh, cares a little less. I just am trying, like my entire goal is to just get a unique lineup into every entry that I have. And 
sometimes I have a lot of entries. Sometimes, you know, I have like a thousand total lineups that I'm playing on a, on a given, you know, main slate or something like that. So I kind of just assume the variance and hope it all works out in my favor and, and don't really think twice about it, but you have a definitely have a couple options there. Okay. Uh, next question here from Joe. Joe said, I've always wondered how our ownership projections projected. That seems extremely difficult to get close to actual. Okay. So this is a good question. So two, two resources here. So first off, we have this tutorial in our support library, which I want to show you guys. So if you go to upper right corner, drop down here, you go to help bring up our support library. You go to frequently asked questions. Jump in here. We have this article. Where do the ownership projections come from? This is uh, updated for the most recent version of SaberSim. This will talk about that, right? So that is a video that Jordan does. And then just to talk about it a little bit myself here. So what we do is we create inputs to a build. Like, hey, you know, uh, most people are probably stacking or, you know, we, we, we create these different components for what we think the field is going to do. We run builds on very high SIM diversities, and then we use the exposures from that build as the ownership projections. And you can actually see this. Uh, this is something new that we've surfaced in the app here. So if you go to my own, you click the gear icon, you're going to see that we have 13 different buckets of ownership. So good example here. Let's go to the highest owned players. So Pablo Lopez, 34.9% in the flagship MME, we're saying. And then if I go to high stake single entry, we're saying that in this contest, Pablo Lopez is going to be about 49% owned. So in the high stakes, he gets about, in a high stake single entry, he gets about 10% more ownership on average here, which, which makes sense to me, right? Uh, what you can do here. So all of these different ownership buckets that you see with these percentages you can actually see the lineups and if you go to contests you go to ownership contests i can go and click on any one of these and what's going to happen is it is going to pull up the lineups that are being used for the ownership projections so i can close my contest tab and then I could come into this table that's going to show me the players and the exposures. And then you see that 49.4% ownership or exposure here for Pablo Lopez. Like these are the field lineups. So, so this works hand in hand with the contest sim. So the way the ownership projections are created is, is in this build here. And then when you have a build with lineups, so let's say that I'm going to go to my build that I ran here, uh, which I have my 5,000 lineups here. If I go to settings, when I go to contest sim settings, if I'm going to run a contest sim, I have to pick a source for the field lineups. So if I click high stakes single entry, what's going to happen, it's going to put my lineups and those 5,000 field lineups that we were just viewing with the 49% Pablo Lopez in a contest together, play that contest out 50,000 times here and then return the ROI of each lineup, the um, cash rate of each lineup, the win rate of each lineup, et cetera here. So the field lineups are the ownership projections, but good question. All right. Sacrilegious said, prior to tri trialing SaberSim, I would use aggregate projections with SaberSim 
uh, is using aggregate projections watering down the effectiveness of the sims. Got it. If I do use aggregate projections, should I apply them prior to generating lineups or after? Assuming if I apply them after, those are pro the projections used for the contest sim. Okay. So good question here. So kind of a question like, hey, you know, what do you think about aggregate projections? So to be honest, I like aggregate ownership more than I like aggregate projections. Um, I, I, I've seen, you know, back testing on, on um, our projections and it's really good. I think projections around the industry are good. I think I've even heard like top pros, like whistles go woo say like, Hey, you know, projections across the industry are a lot closer than you guys might think over like a, a long enough sample size here. I think that, you know, ownership specifically is something that is, is a single number that once the slate lock, it doesn't change, right? Like at slate lock, you know, Pablo Lopez is going to be 49% owned or, or somewhere in that range, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at his range of outcomes, right? If you look at his projection, Hey, we're saying sometimes he scores zero points, 2% of the time. Sometimes he scores 20 points. Sometimes he scores 40 points, right? Ownership does not have this distribution. Uh, ownership is something where the more accurate it is, the the better, right? And that's going to be static. There isn't this range of outcomes where sometimes Pablo Lopez comes in at zero, sometimes 50, sometimes 25. Like, no, he's going to come in pretty close to this to this number here, like plus or minus, you know, five, 10%. Uh, let's use that as an example. So aggregating ownership is only going to give the builder better inputs for grading your lineups and figuring out which ones you should play, uh, how the field lineups grade out and stuff like that. Aggregating projection. I actually think it's a little better to be a little different slate to slate. So with, you know, different projection sources, some projection sources are going to, you know, favor one team or favor another team on any given day. They might grade out very similarly over the long run, but I think the small projection differences on a day-to-day -day basis uh, can give you some edge when your projection source is right here, right? Maybe today is a day where uh, let's use, you know, the bat. Everybody knows the bat, right? Uh, the bat is saying, hey, you know, play Atlanta. They have a six implied run total. And then maybe you use Saberson projections and Saberson is saying like, you know what? We think that uh, Philly is a little bit better of a leverage play, all things considered upside ownership, projected score, et cetera, right? And it's not to say that either projection sources is wrong, but just the way that it works out, uh, we end up taking different stances on the slate and you can, you know, capitalize on that as opposed to playing this middle of the road approach where you are basically like hedging against, against projection differences by aggregating right so that those are my thoughts on it um i like to be a little different than than uh aggregating projections particularly here i'd, I'd probably aggregate ownership if i was going to do anything but let me know if you have any follow-up and then um second part was assuming i apply them after lineups are built are the projections used for the contest sim so this part yes so so let's say that um okay the easiest way to think about this Whatever is in the my projection column is what SaberSim is using. So when you do not have any lineups built and then you hit run build or build lineups, SaberSim is going to look at the my projection column and then it is going to build your lineups. If you upload projections after that and then run the contest sim, the contest sim is going to look in the my projection column 
and then use those values on top of our range of outcomes. So anytime you apply a custom projection, we take our range of outcomes for the players. So Ronald Acuna, you know, projected for about 11 points. Let's say you increase him to 13. What we're going to do is every time he scores zero, he scores two. Every time he scores 10, he now scores 12. Every time he scores 30, he now scores 32. We're going to shift his distribution, but we're going to leave the distribution intact. So the good thing about custom projections, you get our range of outcomes and you get your mean adjustments on top of that, right? So with the contest sim, if you come in here, and upload your custom projections, the builder is going to use that new mean in tandem with our sims and range of outcomes when it runs your contest sim. So the outcomes of the player performance in the contest sim will be affected by your uh, uploaded projections, but the lineups are already built and those will not be affected. So they'll be affected in the sense of the summary statistics that come from the contest sim, but the actual creation of the lineups is already done at this point. All right. Uh, looks like sacrilegious is here said very thorough answer. Thank you. Yeah, man. Happy to help out. All right. Let's hit this next one from Sammy. Sammy said, hi, Andrew, this may have been asked, but what is the best way to force certain players from the afternoon games to come up within the late swap? Or is it better approach doing it prior to lock at 1 p.m.? What will the difference be? Thanks. Okay, so for this, let's go over to Sunday here and let's go to the NFL main slate. So, so what I would do here, it sounds like you want some late swap flexibility so you're almost going to kind of have to force that a little bit. And, it, and if you just look at the ratio here, right, there's one, two, three, four, five, one, hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine games in the early window, and then there are three afternoon games. So 75% of the slate is starting when the slate starts, okay? If you guys want to, you know, try and and keep some late swap flexibility you're going to really have to kind of force that in the builder and the way i would suggest that is probably team total adjustments here just like come into the team stacks tab and then just go and look at what teams are playing on the late slate and then just give them a, a point boost right and then see how their projections are coming out on the other end um the only time i really like doing this is if there's injury news that you're waiting on right maybe uh, for example, Tony Pollard is is questionable, right? And you want to um, save some salary, some running back position eligibility for potential swaps, right? The, the actual way that I like to handle this is to just force that player. So whatever player you are thinking about that you are uh considering late swapping or you want to have eligibility for, I would actually just put that player in more lineups um, just because kind of for two reasons, this kind of gets into like game theory. So one, if he's questionable in the late window, I think less people are going to roster them on average, right? They don't want to worry about it. Uh, you know, they're worried about swaps, things like that. Right. So, so that's one reason. And then reason number two is that, um, if, if, well, well, I already said that, uh, if he does play, he'll come in at reduced ownership, but if he doesn't play, then you have that specific position available. And then this player will usually be more salary than any subsequent player. So then what you can do is, um, you know, you'll have plenty of salary left to swap, right? 
Another way to do this, uh, just thinking about it right now, is is set a group rule. And then what you can do is just go to uh, group rules. Can you do this with all the automatic? I don't think so. So like for golf, for instance, we have like a tee time option here where it's like, hey, you know, use uh, so many players past this time. We don't have that for NFL, uh, but that would kind of be cool in this like specific use case. Like, hey, you know, use at least two players per lineup past 1 p.m., right? Uh, being on the West Coast here. So what, what you would have probably have to do is go into a group manual rule and then do use at least two and then uh, go through here and then go through the six teams, the three games in the afternoon, put the guys, put, put you know, position players, et cetera, here in a group role, then say use at least two. So that's another way to force it here. All right. Question from Skyhook. Skyhook said, could you touch again on the difference in risk adjusted ROI versus ROI or point in the direction of previous episodes? Thanks. Uh, yeah, man. No, happy to help out. You know, um, these, these concepts can take a little bit to like wrap your head around. So I'm happy to clarify for you guys as many times as you need here. So really, uh, you know, and let's, let's just, uh, kick off a contest sim here while I, while I talk about this. But I am going to use the same example that I normally use because I think it is a good example, right? So ROI is basically what we're looking at is we're looking at all the times in the contest sim that the lineup made money versus uh, lost money. And then we're basically summing that up, right? So if the lineup makes more money than the entry fees on average, then it's going to have a positive ROI, right? And then if the lineup loses more money than the entry fees on average, then it's going to have a negative ROI, right? That is just basically a calculation of, of how much money this lineup returned. Risk-adjusted ROI is the omega ratio of the lineup. And risk-adjusted ROI looks at the amount of times the lineup won versus the amount of times the lineup lost and then within each of those, so it's it's uh, how often the lineup won, how much it won when it won, and then how often the lineup lost plus how much it lost when it lost, right? So it's it's looking at those two factors, and it's really like a variance calculation, right? So you could have two lineups with the same ROI. One could have been three times and never cashed again. The other one could have been one time and had plenty of times when it cashed, you know, top 5%, top one percent, etc., but it didn't cash as many times as the other lineup. The first lineup that being three times and then never cashed again, that lineup would be inherently uh much higher risk, much higher variance, right? So that lineup would get a lower omega ratio and then like a lower percentage that you see here in the app. And then the lineup that only beaked one but had a lot of other good high percentile outcomes would have a higher risk adjusted ROI and a uh, better omega ratio rating here. So so just, just one other thing here, you know, these percentages, ROI, win rate, cash rate, ROI, standard deviation, dupes, these ones come from the builder here. Uh, the risk-adjusted ROI looks at those other metrics once the contest sim is completed and then is calculated. So it's not directly from the contest sim. It is looking at the outcomes of the contest sim, and then we are just displaying a percentage to, uh, for you to, to view here. So to... to try and make it a little easier. Uh, one thing I did want to cover that I had on my list here, I mentioned we added the bulk trash feature, just a little sidebar here. 
Um, if you right click on my lineups, you will see the option trash all from my lineups here. So say that you have multiple contest sims and you're going through here, sorting by risk adjusted ROI, filling your 20 maxes one at a time here. You know, what we say is, hey, fill 20, get rid of these 20, and then get a new set of 20 lineups. That way you're making sure that you're getting a unique lineup in each entry here. So I, I wanted to make sure I called that out before the weekend here. Just right click and then the trash all from my lineups option will pop up. And then it looks like GM33 actually sent Skyhook a little um, segment from yesterday's office hours talking about it. Uh, looks like Snowman is a big Buckeyes fan. Good luck to you, my friend. All right. Uh, last question in the Office Hours channel here from Dicehawk, and then we will jump over to the YouTube chat. Question says, since the pool lineups are based on the projections, does that mean that you shouldn't really be adjusting the projections or eliminating players from the pool too much before running the build since the entire field will more likely be based on the projections without your changes? At what point is the best time to eliminate players that you don't want in your pool of lineups but shouldn't be in the field lineups? Okay, so what I, I don't particularly um what's the word I'm looking for? I, I would think about this a little different, right? What I would say is that. I think it's fine to have opinions about the slate, whether you want to remove players from positions, whether you want to get exposure to other positions, other players, et cetera, right? The way I like to do this is think about the field lineups as its own entity, right? That is its own thing over here on the side. Whatever you do is fine. Um, what I would suggest here is make all the changes you want and then run your lineups and then if you're contest simming, you're going to be able to see, hey, how did all of my adjustments work out in the sim? And then if you are returning a bunch of low ROI lineups, maybe you need to rethink some of those um, inputs that you made, some of those changes that you made. Maybe you can walk some of those back, right? Uh, so I think that, you know, contest sims allow you to see like, hey, how are the lineups that I'm constructing with my opinions grading out against the field lineups here? And I think that is a great, you know, trial and error for are the decisions that you're making helping your lineups in the Sims, right? And you can now you can test that, right? So I think that it's completely fine to still be as opinionated as you want and then run the contest Sim. I don't think that that, that you have to compare your set of lineups to the field lineups too much here. All right. Jumping over to the YouTube chat. Question from Deshaun said, after watching the NFL week two review video on YouTube, you guys talk about how chalk plays or chalk stacks for NFL is a good way to go. So how do we use Sabre to get more chalk plays slash stacks for NFL? Also, when you guys were reviewing lineups, I noticed that some of the winning slash top lineups were negative ROIs. Do you think based off that, if we see some negative ROI lineups in our pool, that those are playable lineups. And then it looks like there's a couple other questions here. Uh, we're just going to go through these two first. So if you guys missed it, uh, Max Steinberg, High Stakes Pro, and I have been doing 
main slate reviews on Mondays. Those usually come out sometime Monday night here. We've done the first two weeks. We'll have another video out next Monday. I've really been enjoying those, getting to talk to Max, you know, pick his brain, really smart individual and, and love chopping it up with him. So check out those videos on our YouTube if you've missed them. And then just talking about this. So I, I think that, you know, some of the big takeaways, the, the too long didn't read of those videos is that highly correlated stacks are grading out very well in the Sims and don't be afraid to play some of the chalk constructions, right? Uh, I'll, I'll, there are plenty of good Sim ROI lineups, good DFS players in general who are finding a, a striking the balance between having a certain amount of chalk and then having some pivots, whether that be individual players, whether that be through a stack, right? So I think one thing that we were talking about where the bills were kind of chalky and how you could play them a little bit differently last week, right? And we saw, you know, um, players on their team who were not the highest owned do well, right? We saw Gabe Davis do well. We saw, I think Shakir had a touchdown. I think Dawson Knox had a touchdown. Basically everybody except Stefan Diggs, who was the, the chalkiest position player on the slate at like 30%, right? So kind of funny how those things work out, but if you were looking for an intuitive way to play the bills, you know, you could have uh, worked in some of those bigger stacks with more than just Allen and Diggs and some of these guys that ultimately ended up doing decently uh, due to catching a touchdown. Right. So, so we've talked about that. I think that first step is kind of, you know, getting back to the question, identifying the chalk, right. Who is going to be the chalk for this slate. And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to just come in here and sort by ownership, right? And then just uh, come in here and, and look at some of these guys. So I'm going to open this up. So right off the bat, you know, you probably start with quarterbacks too. Like, hey, you know, quarterbacks usually stack, right? So seeing a lot of Kirk Cousins and Justin Herbert. So it seems like this Minnesota Charger game is going to be really popular here. And then uh, Trevor Lawrence against Houston. These three quarterbacks are all above 10% owned. And then you can just go and look at, at these individual teams. So it's like, okay. You know, let me go and look at the Chargers as a team here, right? And then we see Mike Williams, 28% ownership. We see Keelan Allen, 20% ownership. Josh Kelly, 16%. I'm assuming that uh, Austin Eckler is still going to be out this week. So so very chalky stack here with the Chargers, right? And then we go in and we look at Minnesota. And then we see Justin Jefferson, 21%. Alexander Madison, 16%, right? Uh, what happens with the Madison Acres news, right? Is Acres even projected at the moment? Is he even supposed to play? Like, I'm not 100% sure, right? Uh, we even see KJ Osborne down here. But I think a great option here, like for Minnesota as an example, is you see Jordan Addison down here at, at 3%, right? So maybe, you know, you play more than just, you even see TJ Hawkinson, at 6%, right? So it's not to say that you need to fade Cousins and Jefferson, um, but, you know, maybe you think of an intuitive way to kind of play them and still capitalize on correlation, still capitalize, get that compounding stacking effect, but play them differently, right? And including somebody like Hawkinson, including somebody like Jordan Addison, who I think has, you know, a couple of, of long touchdowns already this season uh, is a great way to go, right? So don't be afraid to, play some of the chalk pieces, but try to think of an intuitive way to play them along with the other components of your lineup. Saberson's going to do a great job of this for you here, but you know, you could eye check some of those chalkier teams and see if those lineups are what you want. Right. So I would look, you know, maybe spend a little extra time with the chalkiest teams here and, and see how those lineups look specifically. All right. 
Uh, jumping into the next question here said, if you think a team stack or players is going to be lower owned than Saber, same as projecting um, something, a good play, how would you go about getting more of that player or stacks in your build? Uh, this is actually something that Max talked about on, on our show. He said, you know, if you think that a team is going to be lower owned as a stack than what we're projecting, that's only going to help you. And then in the post contest, sim, when, when those line, when we get the actual lineups from the contest, that's only going to help your sim ROI. And those lineups are only going to grade out better. So if you think you identify a situation like that, I would honestly just come into the team stacks tab and set a min exposure to that team. Maybe you think that, you know, um, Trevor Lawrence is not going to come in as highly owned as we're projecting with some of his other, um, you know, teammates like Etienne and Ridley and Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. And, and you come in here and set a min exposure, right? That's only going to help your post sim ROI. All right. Last question from Deshaun said, how would I use SaberSim to identify a player's floor and their ceiling? Would I use the 95th percentile as ceiling and like 50th percentile as the floor? So, so 50th percentile is, is the median outcome. So this is going to be a lot closer on average to their mean here. So like, for instance, Justin Jefferson projected for 25 points here. And then if we go and look at his 50th percentile, it's 24.1, right? So a little bit lower there. Um, I would say that, you know, a, a floor outcome, I mean, if you pull up his range of outcomes, you could see where his like last percentage is. And 1% of the time he's scoring between zero and five points here. I think you're fine using the 25th percentile as a just, a just lower overall outcome in general here. Like there are definitely outcomes, uh, you know, that are lower than this in the Sims. But I think looking at 25th percentile and 95th percentile are good indications for what you are asking about. Uh, Sprite said, low owned stacks this week, please. Uh, I would I would review them the, the exact same way we kind of talked about here, right? Come in, start with the quarterbacks, and then, you know, look in this, you know, 5%-ish range and, and start your research there. And, you know, even go through these teams and see how the other position players are grading out. Ryan said, owner's box is back. Yeah, if you guys missed it, I I, let, I I mentioned it yesterday. I know Jordan also sent out an email, but owner's box is back. Worked, through, worked out some of the kinks with them. Uh, so glad to have them back in the app here. We did have the Thursday night football single game slate, and then we do have this weekend's main slate. So get in on the action on owner's box. Crypto said, is this flow possible? Use individual contest sims for each contest I enter, 20 lineups each contest. Then take my 60 lineups, 20 each contest, and make sure they aren't duped across the three contests. Yes. So that is definitely possible. So what I would do here is I would have, you could either, you could do this two ways. So you could have a a single build with three contest sims. So I'm just going to call this contest sim one, contest sim two here. And then now I have three contest sims. So then when I do, I'm going to re-kick off my lineups here. And then I always suggest this because this makes the most sense to me. Whenever you're using multiple contest sims, I like to look at my lineups in compact mode. So I'm going to go to compact mode lineups. I'm going to toggle that on. I'm going to close the players here. Looks like the contest sim just finished. 
And then what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to get rid of some of these columns that I don't need. Uh, so let's do rank, players, salary, projected score, ownership, stack. And then we're just going to click in our contest and metrics. So the let's say we're going to do risk-adjusted ROI for all of them. So risk-adjusted ROI, risk-adjusted ROI, risk-adjusted ROI. So this shrinks my table down significantly here, right? So then now when I look at this, I have my lineups. I have the rank of the lineups based on the sorting metric. And then I can just go through here and I can quickly sort and fill them appropriately, right? So if I go and I sort by the flagship MME, which is my first 20 max, I can look at these 20 lineups and then I can go to save contests. And then within the save contest, I can just check the one contest that I want to use. And then I can save that to the contest. And then what I would suggest doing is going in and trashing these 20 lineups with the bold trash feature, the right click option that we just released, get a new set of 20 lineups and then go to the next contest sim, sort those 20 by highest risk adjusted ROI, go back into save contest, uncheck the contest that was that I already filled, check the next contest I want to fill, fill these 20 and then do that for each and every contest until you're done. Second question was, can I save a filter and turn it on slash off or do I have to create and delete filters as I need them specifically looking at lineup filters? Okay, so let's say that, you know, I want to come in here and uh, you could you could load filters is is going to be your best option here. So what I would do is I would go. Let's say I want to look at lineups with a projected score greater than 100, right? And I want to turn this off. I want to turn this off. So what I would do is I would name it, and I would do proj greater than 100. I would save that. So then now it's here. When I turn when I close it and I go back to add filter, I could just go to load. And I don't have to rewrite it every time. I can just, uh, it'll be in this load dropdown and then I can just reactivate it. So that is what I would do for that question. Uh, next question was when risk adjusted ROI is no longer profitable, or like when is risk adjusted ROI no longer profitable below 100% or when it goes negative? So I would base this information off of ROI specifically here. Um, I like to use ROI because it is an actual uh, calculation from the contest sim. The risk adjusted ROI is kind of looking at the variance of the lineup as a whole here. So I think that you should just try and stay above, try and play positive ROI lineups, plays that uh, lineups that graded out positive ROI in the sim. I've heard Matt say, or I've, I've heard discussion in Discord that Matt said in a video that, uh, you know, you could play risk-adjusted ROI lineups above 25%. I've, I've heard people say like, hey, how do I set this filter that I heard Matt talk about in the video? So I don't, I don't remember him saying that. I don't want to put words in Matt's mouth, but that is something I've heard going around in the Discord. All right, question from Samuel said, is it bad to limit the min salary to 49,000 in showdown, I haven't been changing entrance when running builds in showdown. Is that a big mistake? I never change it in classic since you can adjust sorting method. I would not limit salary, minimum salary in showdown. Uh, the higher your min salary, probably the more chalky lineups you're going to end up playing on average. A, a single 
NFL game played out one time can play out so wild. And we saw this with the Monday night two-game slate. And this was a two-game slate. We saw four backup running backs outscore the starter. We saw two starting running backs get hurt. We saw just like uh, one, one defense score, two touchdowns. We just saw all kinds of craziness happen on that two-game slate. And I suggest, you know, leaving that minimum salary uncapped. Uh, if you want, I would set it at like 40000 for showdown. There are going to be simulations in the database where the optimal lineup has a very low cumulative salary here. And those are going to be some of the uniquest lineups, right? Those are going to be the lineups where you probably get, you know, the most percentage of the first place prize, right? And it's not to say that you're always going to get those, but allowing yourself to get those from the game sims, at least you know that these are backed by a play-by-play sim from our database, right? So I personally would not cap min salary for showdown. All right, next question. I'm trying to look at contest flashback, but oftentimes it says there are no lines to view. Am I doing something wrong? I'm selecting an old slate and then clicking contest and picking one. Okay, so a couple notes on this. If you guys are experiencing what uh, Sacrilegious is is describing here, I would do us a favor, use the report of problem button and let us know. Uh, one other thing here is that we are having issues with contests that are greater than 100,000 in contest size. So if I were to go back to last Sunday here, the main slate, and then I go into contests. I'm going to sort by contest size here. So a lot of these like bigger contests, 495,000 entries, you know, 236,000 entries. These are all going to have a lot of trouble loading. Um, I would look at contests under hundred K. So like, for instance, um, come in like what, what Max and I did was look at some of these, um, smaller size contests, some of the single entries, things like that. You can still get to some of these here. Like I bet you, you could probably get to the second mini max here. Okay. Maybe you can't, but, but you're going to have to kind of play with this here. And the team is aware of this and actively working on solutions to fix this. We know people want to look at the flagship mini max and things like that. Right. So uh, lower contest size entries are going to be your friend here at the moment. But even this 30,000 entry contest, this $3 single entry, I was able to load. So kind of just depends on the contest size at the moment. Tom said, how do I win single entry GPPs? What's the best strategy? It's Is high stacking a good idea in single entry, like 5343? So it sounds like a baseball question. I actually have this great video on the YouTube channel here where I did a single entry video specifically. So on the YouTube channel, go to playlists, go to coach's corner. And then it says how to build single entry lineups with SaberSim. It is a 10 minute video. This was actually recorded during this baseball season. And I talk about building single entries and figuring out, you know, how to pick the one lineup that you want to take with you into your contest, right? Uh, this was a strategy that I used uh, very similarly last MLB season when I qualified for the FanDuel Life Final, right? So uh, I think it's a solid process. I would check this video out. Crypto said, thank you for all the info and answers. Snowman said, running backs are hard this week. I think that makes it the most fun personally. And then a follow-up here said, follow-up question, how long does it take 
for the post contest sims to get posted after a slate, uh, usually Monday. So if the main slate is on Sunday, uh, we will not have it up Sunday night. It's a little bit of a manual process. So I would say, you know, midday Monday is a good time to check back um, and, and you should be set there. But we're all caught up with questions. Appreciate everybody tuning in uh, and asking a bunch of live questions. Those are my favorite. Those keep the show rolling. Uh, good luck to you guys all in your contest this weekend. Until Monday, I will see you. Take care. Bye.